Well, welcome to church. Glad that you're here with us this morning. Welcome to church. Uh, I had a whole intro and a whole thing. I'm just skipping over. So here we're jumping right into the middle and, and welcome to it. Okay. The big idea for this morning is that God's design for the church is not a weekly event, but a people who are all in with one another for the cause of the gospel. God's design for the church isn't some weekly event. When you came through here, you didn't come into church because you're now in the building. Sunday morning isn't the church. That's not the event. Rather, God's design is a people who are all in with one another for the cause of the gospel. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Our text this morning is from Acts chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2, I'd love to invite you to turn there. A couple of thoughts as we are getting uh, into this here. Okay, so number one is that there are two senses of the word church that we're going to use. Or, well, we're going to really be talking about one of them. But the first one is this idea of the universal church. Every believer in Jesus from all time from every place, is all part of the, we would call that the big C, capital C, church. Now, the the New Testament speaks to that universal church sometimes. But most oftentimes, what it means when it's talking about the word church, is a local congregation, a local fellowship, who is part of the larger C church, but it's a local representation here. So what I want us to notice this morning from the book of Acts is what are the characteristics, what are the commitments of the local church from the book of Acts? So we could spend a lot of time talking about what other churches do. If we're talking about church stuff, we could talk about like, well, well, there's some other really great churches around here, by the way. I mean, there's, you know, some great big churches that do some amazing things. And we could say, like, how are they doing things? How is it working for them? That might be a valid question for us to ask. We might ask ourselves, what are some really uh, some failing churches or some churches who just had to close their doors? What did they do? And we might learn something from that. And that could be kind of valuable. But I think that the most valuable thing that we could do is we could open God's word and we could say, what does God say about it, though? Because the interesting thing that we're going to see is that there aren't a whole lot of like, okay, start at 1030 and then you do this and then you do this. So, I mean, like there's a lot of things about the church that the scriptures say, but they don't answer all of our questions. Have you ever noticed that? Like they don't, it doesn't say a whole lot about denominations. It doesn't say a whole lot about like, hey, how long should this message be? It doesn't say a lot about like, well, how many Phil Wickham songs did the early church do? Did they just do two Phil Wickham songs or was it all four? And obviously we know the answer to that is none. They did all Matt Redmond. So anyway, (laughs) here is what I want to make sure we're on the same page about this morning, though. I've grown up at Westside my whole life, pretty much, 30 years or so. Um, there are a lot of us here who know a lot of stuff about church. And I just want to tell you this morning, you're probably, if you're an old schooler, you're probably not going to learn anything today. just want to let you know that right off the bat. 
And, and maybe if you're newer here, maybe, you know, whatever. That, and we're glad that you're here if you're newer here too. And you might learn something today. But I just want everybody to be on the same page that the goal today is not to just know more stuff. We got plenty of people who know lots of things. I, I brought some demonstration material here this morning. I hope you'll bear with me. These are some running shoes. Uh, every so often, I get this idea in my head that I'm going to become a runner. I'm going to run. So I look up, like, what are the best shoes to get? And I'll ask Eric for an employee store pass. Um, that's, uh, anyway, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll do some work on thinking, like, what, what's the best kind of shoe? And, like, what, so a guy of, like, my size, how long should I run at least at the start? Or, like, what are the best goals? What should I do? And then, like, I, I get into, like, should I wear the, the short sleeve shirt? Or should I just go ahead and do full long sleeve, get a little more sweat? I could probably tell you maybe, you know, after a while, where are the best places to run? I could look at, like, you know, cross-country people, how they wear the short shorts? Like, I'm not ready to make that kind of commitment yet, but, like, what's the best thing for that? All that stuff. And I could, after some research, I could have some really solid opinions about the best running shoes about the best shorts and about the best all that stuff. But if I never run, it doesn't matter. So my running shoes, I do all this research, my running shoes are these pristine things that I bought four years ago, not these things. These clean shoes, bought them four years ago, and you know how many miles I put on them? About, I don't know how many miles it is from my room to the refrigerator, but it's, that's about the longest run that I've done. These, on the other hand, are Matthew's shoes. Matthew did cross-country for several years. This, these lasted, Matthew, I want to say, like six months, something like that. Matthew put hundreds of miles on these. So in, in just like, uh, in a, like four months or five months, something like that. Because he was a cross-country runner. And so... You know, when, when Matthew's talking about shoes, it actually does matter what he gets because he's going to be wearing them for many, many miles. And so what I, I don't want to confuse the illustration and say, well, it doesn't matter what kind of shoes you get. Just run. I'm not saying that at all. But what I want us to understand is that what we are doing here today is we're talking about running so we can actually run. Let's not just fill our heads with all kinds of strong opinions and stuff, Okay. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and read Acts chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 42. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor from all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. Welcome to church, huh? Wow. I mean, it sounds like just basically a description out of just pretty much any church around here, right? No, wrong. God's 
God's design for the church is not a weekly event, but a people who are all in with one another for the cause of the gospel. I want us to notice what are the four characteristics of the church. We're going to look at four characteristics of the early church. We're going to look at four things that they committed themselves to, and we're going to look at the one result. Okay? And we're just going to all stay in this passage together in Acts chapter 2. First one is all in commitment. Did you notice that about the passage that we read? What is the very first description of the early church? The very first one. You ever thought about that? The very first description of the early church is that they were devoted to one another. And it's a, I, I'm not gonna nerd out too much on you, but it's a really, uh, Rebecca and Cole both have heard me talk about this several times in the office, so I'm sorry. But it's a weird sentence structure that he uses. He's using the, uh, it, in Luke, it was originally written in Greek, of course, and so he's using this, uh, this imperfect tense is the verb, so he's like saying, they were doing this. But the tense of devoted, it's actually a present active participle. So in a weird way, he's saying, they were, are doing this. They were, are doing this. And the idea there is that he, it communicates, those, those two tenses used together like that, it's a way of communicating something that is urgent, something that is very important, something that is, it's like it, it happened, yes, but it still has these big effects for right now. They were devoting themselves. It's all in commitment. This isn't something that was just about convenience. It wasn't about preference. The early church was committed to one another. Now, the, the, we're going to look, we're going to jump off the four characteristics and we're going to jump onto the four things that they were committed to. What are the four commitments of the early church? Well, you see them right there in, uh, in 242. Number one was the apostles' teaching. And this, 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 the idea here is that they weren't saying, hey, Peter, what do you think are some good ideas about like some marriage stuff? And Peter like, well, let me think about it for a minute. No, the apostles' teaching is simply this. Jesus had led and taught his disciples for three years. And he told the disciples, right? He said, these things, you know, the things that I've taught to you, teach these things to others. Not just teach them to others, but actually teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. So even Jesus was, was on that idea of it's not just about knowing, it's about doing so Peter and, and, the, and the other apostles there, they had been taught by Jesus, and Jesus is just saying, just keep passing this on. And so that's what they did. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't just smart ideas or philosophies. This is the, the, the teaching of the apostles was the teaching of Jesus. And the teaching of Jesus is the fulfillment of all the stuff that Hank said this morning. And this is why, as Westside, we want to be Scripture-led. We want to be scripture-led. We don't want to uh, make our basis in some uh, practical thing over here that like, well, we just saw that this seems like it really works, or some, some other ideas. We want to be led by God's Word. That's what we want to build our foundation on. The next thing is the fellowship. They, they committed themselves to the fellowship. And the fellowship is a word that we've used so much that we've lost the meaning. 
I mean, in church, if you're not from church, the only thing you probably think of is J.R. Tolkien or something like that, right? The Fellowship of the Ring. But the idea of of fellowship is this. Uh, D.A. Carson says, the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to shared vision. Let me read that again. The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to shared vision. So there's two aspects here. There's the gospel-centered friendship, but it's with a shared mission. It's a lot bigger than we oftentimes use the word fellowship. We oftentimes describe fellowship as just like, ah, we're going to go hang out, have some coffee, we're going to have some fellowship time, which this time of the year, let's be honest, it means talking about football for a lot of us, right? Just some fellowship time. But really, this idea of, of fellowship here that they were committed to, it wasn't just about the event It was about the people. They were committed to that fellowship. They shared Jesus in common. And so we want to be relationally growing. All the things that the early church committed themselves to, I'm just going to say it right now. If if you're coming here on a Sunday morning and you're trying to get your church fixed, you can't get it on a Sunday morning. It doesn't all happen here. Because... You know, you're going to walk in, you're going to say hi to a few people or whatnot, and you're going to find your seat, uh, and then you're going to take off and you're going to go eat some lunch. But the thing is, what the early church was committed to was not the event or just the teaching. It was the fellowship. They were committed to one another. The next thing they were committed to is the breaking of bread. This is uh, more than just the meal, that, because the, the breaking of bread could refer to just like that they were eating lunch together, which would be pretty cool. But this seems to be specifically uh, pointing down to this idea of the, uh, the, the thing that we did this morning, and we do every week because it seems like a really important thing, and it seems like the early church really devoted themselves to it, and it's this, remembering the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. You can't grow as a believer in Jesus without frequently coming back to the breaking of bread and what that signifies. And so one of the core values of Westside is that we want Christ to be above all. That Christ is central to all that we do and teach. We never want to lose the wonder of God's mercy. We never want to get away from the centrality of the gospel. And the last thing that the church committed themselves to is the prayers. In prayer, the church recognized their complete dependence on God. You know, Jesus had told them to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always. So that sounds great. Until you're a small group of about 120 people, and you're like, the world is a very big world, and it's also a very mean and cruel world. And you've got your leader, I mean, you know, we've had two very different presidents, so I think we can say this, you know, if you think your president, past or present, is really bad, wait till they call themselves a god, and everybody's got to worship them. Then it gets nuts, okay? So that's the culture that the church was born into. So there's a lot of opposition. So they did not look at this and go like, oh, I got this. Peter's a really great preacher or whatever. 
We've got, we've got Phil Wickham songs all day long. No, they, didn't, they didn't say that. What they said is, we can't do it. We need God's help. So they committed themselves to prayer. And that's why one of our core values is that we want to have humility in everything. We don't have it all together. As much as we try to look like it here in the morning, maybe, or, or on your social media account or whatever, we don't have it all together. And the things that God has called us to are way beyond what we can pull off in our own strength. We're dependent on God. We must commit ourselves to prayer. So I want to ask you, oh, I want to ask you on this commitment, this, this first characteristic of the church, all in commitment. How can we live this out? So how can we go from just staring at the... Do you guys remember eBay catalog? Or was it not eBay? East Bay catalogs. You remember those? Where you'd look at and find the shoes? I feel like two people here are affirming this. So anyway, uh, anyway, the, if you were in the 90s, East Bay, you'd get the catalog with all the shoes and you'd think about it. Anyway, so we want to go from shopping to real life here. How can you do that? Number one, discover your role here at Westside. Did you know that God has a place for every single part, every single one of you? The, the New Testament paints the picture of a body, like a physical body. It says local church is like a body. And you know, the thing is, I've known a lot of people who have had to have some kind of surgeries done and that kind of thing. Some people here have had to have their appendix taken out. And I think that kind of ruins the illustration a little bit because the truth is there's no such thing as a spiritual appendix. You can't be removed from the body and it not affect everything else. So I guess here's the question I would have for you. Is are you with us? Are you committed with us? Or are you losing out? Are you missing out because you're on the sideline? And you're just thinking, man, that football team is struggling. Well, I'll tell you what. If you've got ten players on the field, you're going to struggle. And I tell you what. God is inviting you to find your role here at Westside. So that just starts sometimes by just finding a need, hearing about a need, and just getting started. You don't have to necessarily figure out your spiritual gift and all this kind of stuff. We encourage you just, if you see a need, just go ahead and start meeting it. If um, uh, All the needs that we have here in a body, all the roles aren't just fulfilled in Sunday mornings. And I, I know that's probably pretty obvious, but I just feel like we should probably say it out loud anyway. Uh, there's a lot of needs that are met throughout the week. There's a lot of the ministry that happens here, not just on Sunday mornings. But if you do want to get involved in a Sunday morning, there's a lot of needs here too. There's a lot of needs here still in our, in our Sunday school and our children's ministry. There's a lot of needs in the greeting team. We, you know, we've got some, some greeters, which is great, but we, you know, people tend to sit in the big horseshoe because they don't know where else to sit, so they just sit on the margins and all that stuff. We'd love to have some people come in and guide some people. This would be great. If you want to find a way to get involved, I guess is what I'm saying. Jump in. Don't wait. The early church was characterized. Their very first characteristic was they were all in committed to one another. You know, it sounds like yesterday at the lunch, or at the lunch? Breakfast, at the breakfast thing yesterday. It sounded like there was a lot of great things happening there. A lot of the ladies deciding to connect with one another. That's the kind of thing that we need. So, 
older generation, I want to encourage you. If you have, have seen somebody that, uh, you know, that you thought, God, I think I could, I think I could maybe help with that. Somebody in this assembly, reach out to them. Please take the initiative to do that. Younger generation, I want to tell you, if you see somebody that you respect, reach out to them. Just say, hey, man, just ask them one question like, I don't know, like, tell me about what God's done in your life. Because we need one another in order for us to live this out. I just want to say at this point of the message, all of these points are equally long, so get really, really comfortable. We're going to be here for about another two hours. Just kidding. Next one is the next characteristic of the early church is holy expectation. And we see that here in, uh, in, the, in verse uh, 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Everybody had a sense of awe. Miracles and wonders were being done by the apostles here. And these miracles and wonders were confirming this message that they were proclaiming. But, you know, today we ask the question, can God do miracles today? You know, I believe that he can. I think we see miracles all the time. The truth is, I think... Oftentimes we miss out on the sense of awe for several reasons. One of them is maybe we, if we're honest, we would never say God's not going to do a miracle. We wouldn't say that out loud, but we believe it. Or maybe we are so used to God's normal, everyday miracles that we just don't see it as a miracle. You know what I mean? Like... God takes, I believe the scriptures are pretty clear, God takes a particular glory, not just in changing somebody radically in one moment, but how much power does it take to radically change someone over a long period of time? To not just change their behaviors, but to change their heart. To to something that, a miracle that leads in a long obedience in the same direction. That's a miracle. And sometimes we're just so used to seeing it that we don't have much of a sense of awe. You know, I believe that our sometimes we are so disappointed that when we've prayed for the miracle and it doesn't come the way that we had prayed for it, we just kind of stop believing. Sometimes we stop praying. But for sure, many of us just stop expecting. Now, I'm not trying to get too up in your business. But when you walked in this morning, when you came through those doors, did you have a holy expectation? What's God going to do today? What's he going to do? Not because of the, you know, because of any particular part up here, but just because God works through the church. Do we have that? I believe that, that maybe this is one of the things that God really wants us to change. That we would walk through these doors, that we would walk into life group with a holy expectation that God is going to be at work. I have a quote here. We are so unwise that we wander about in times that do not belong to us and do not think of the only one that does. So vain that we dream of times that are not and blindly flee the one that is. The fact is that the present usually hurts. We trust it out of sight because it, depre- or it distresses us 
And if we find it enjoyable, we are sorry to see it skip away. Wow. Obviously somebody, you know, in the iPhone era. Now this is Blaise Pascal from about 400 years ago. And if it was true then, how much more true is it now? We have temporarily, many of us, lost our capacity for awe. We've lost the capacity for awe temporarily. It's, it's going up to the Grand Canyon and playing Candy Crush. Or whatever the game is. I don't, is Candy Crush still a game? Okay, so if you said yes, you just outed yourself a little bit, but anyway, that was just for free. The idea is, it's, it's like, it's like seeing something that's just so amazing, but I'm so distracted that I can't turn my attention to it. And friends, one of the things that maybe has happened to us as a church, not just like Big C Church, not just Western Church, but like us, Westside. Maybe we have lost some of our capacity for awe because we are so distracted. And maybe the message for us today is to realize our life here is a vapor. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. You realize that just in the very same way that we are looking at one another right now, in this very same way, we are going to see Jesus face to face. Do you believe that? He wants to be at work in you and through you. That's awesome. Do you want a part in that? The third characteristic of the early church was radical unity. It says, all who believed, oh, I'm sorry, I'm behind here. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Abundant generosity was a hallmark of the early church. They were love-saturated. Everything in the early church was about loving one another, commitment to one another. If you had a need, I would sell what I have so that I can provide for that need. That is radical. And that flies in the face of today what we so often see and experience kind of everywhere in our culture is the opposite. It's actually radical individualism. It's radical me-centered. Our whole lives, we've got generations of kids who are growing. I mean, I think my generation was part of this too. You're told your whole life, just follow your dreams. Just do you. You just be true to yourself. And we've got this radical individualism that looks, it's, it is like a love that is so powerful, and yet it is curved in on itself. So that my greatest love is really just me. And I have a hard time seeing beyond myself because really everything just kind of bends back to me. I have a quote that I have had in my pocket for a couple of years um, that I thought was really good for someone else. And then literally this week the whole thing changed. Because the Spirit was showing me, no, no, this is for you. 
Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. We can have our dream, or like uh, George Verwer says in his book, Messiology, we can have this destructive idealism. And I've, I gotta admit, I've fallen short. Um, this message was very different about four days ago. But as God got to work in my heart, He showed me, this is you, Hickman. I want to encourage us, maybe all of us, Westside, you need, maybe you need to hear what I had to hear too. That we can have all the right stuff, everything lined up. We can even be doing some of the right things, but if it's not saturated by love, it doesn't please the Lord. So, um, as we go through, let's, uh, we're, we're looking at our, uh, just a quick review. Uh, the four characteristics of the early church were number one was all in commitment. And the four things that they were committed to were the apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. The, the number three thing, or number two thing was holy expectation. Number three was radical unity. Amen. Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, like the early church, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain Nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. If we don't have love, we will never have radical unity. Now, how in the world does unity in the church lead to people getting saved? I don't know. How does marching around a city a bunch of times lead to the falling of walls? How does two guys in prison singing, kind of annoyingly maybe, lead to people coming to faith in Jesus? How do 12 normal guys turn the world upside down? I don't know. Bible math is kind of funny that way. But maybe, just maybe, if we will trust in what God says, rather than conventional wisdom or what we think will work, just maybe, God will add to our number those who are being saved. Because God's design for the church isn't a weekly event. It's a people who are all in with one another for the cause of the gospel. Lastly, um, the, the characteristic of the early church is that they did not skip leg day. 
Now, what do I mean by that? Leg day, as anybody who lifts weights very much would recognize my son also is a good example of this. You know, uh, leg day is hard. Leg day, just you work really, really hard. And the thing is, like, if you do chest day and you work really, really hard, you feel huge when you walk around for the next, you know, eight hours or something like that. But when you do leg day, you don't feel huge and you're kind of just wobbly like this. And you just feel like this, like, gosh, what's wrong with that guy? Oh, leg day. The thing is, you know, people who really want to get strong, like actually strong, they don't skip leg day. It's the little things. It's the commitment to the hard stuff. It's the commitment to the just the daily grind of stuff. And you know what? The early church didn't skip leg day. Day by day. Uh, yeah, they were, check this out. Day by day. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They were gathering daily. Have you ever noticed that about the early church? They got together every day. How on earth did they have the time for that? I don't know. But you know what? It was a, it was a, it was a high value to them. So they found a way to do it. They were attending, or they were attending the temple together. That was their public gathering, which is probably the most like our Sunday morning. The next thing that they were doing is they were hospitable. They were sharing meals together in their homes. So it was the big stuff, like what we do here on Sunday mornings, similar to that, probably, probably fewer Phil Wickham songs. And um, I sound like I'm really anti-Phil Wickham. I love him. Just kidding. So the um, the idea is that there was this this bigger gathering in this huge place, and the second thing was that they had these smaller gatherings in their homes. And this is more like our life groups, which are starting, at least mine is starting up this week. The church was relationally growing through hospitality. And I want to suggest this, that hospitality is maybe the underrated secret sauce of the growth of the church. At some point, we as a Civil, uh, as a culture, we became so individualized that we stopped inviting people into our own homes. And, you know, I, I believe that what the early church committed themselves to is a really good pattern for us, and that's this, that we would meet regularly in one another's homes. Now, some of us are great at that, and some of us really struggle with that. There's a hundred things we could talk about here, but let me just encourage you to do this. If, if, uh, if having people in your homes is not a regular rhythm for you and you kind of feel like I am kind of skipping leg day, let me encourage you to do this. Ask God, God, what do you want me to do about that? Just ask him that. What do you want me to do about that? The daily meeting together and all that stuff. I know that we've got a thousand things that we have going on here. We've got, you know, we say, come on on Sunday morning. It's awesome. We also want you to teach Sunday school. Well, also love you to do some music if you could. Um, and then also, obviously, we need some help on the youth group. You, there, you could sign up for a thousand things here. And it just seems like it's an overwhelming ask on behalf of the church. But here's what I want to suggest that we do. Many of us are much better at self-protection than we are at helping others. Maybe we're a little preoccupied with protecting ourselves and we've lost sight of the needs of the body.
Just maybe. I'm not saying that to every one of us for sure. Because some of us struggle kind of on the opposite end of it, uh, thinking that we can and should do everything. And so um, some of us need to trust the Lord instead of just busying up our schedule. A lot more here that we're just going to pass right through. Here's the one result. The one result is this. And I believe this is what everybody at Westside wants. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How did they get to that one result? I believe that Westside, if we would show that all-in commitment to one another, if we would come with holy expectations, if we would show radical unity and all that that means for us to show that love to one another, and if we would, finally, if we would... um, What was the fourth one? Don't skip leg day, that's right. If we would... It behooves us to not skip leg day... If we would not skip leg day as well, I believe that God would start and continue to grow West Side. God is doing an amazing thing here, and He invites you to be a part of it. So, will you find your part in what God is doing in not just the old church from 2,000 years ago, but right now, right here today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you invite us into your work. You've invited us. You've given us a place to play. You've given us a position, a a role to fill in this thing that we are doing that we have absolutely no business doing. We can't do it on our own. But Lord, help us to trust you enough to step out in faith And to join you in what you are doing in making disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name, amen.